0: This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. In June, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that employment discrimination against people based on their sexual orientation or their gender identity is a form of sex discrimination. For nearly two decades, the ACLU of Pennsylvania has advocated for changing the Commonwealth's non-discrimination law to include sexual orientation and gender identity or expression. And in recent years, the ACLU has been one of the leading advocates saying that there is a legal argument for winning this important protection. For this episode, I'm joined by Naima Sanchez, Transgender Justice Coordinator for the ACLU of PA, and Mary Catherine Roper, our Deputy Legal Director. Naima and Mary Catherine talk about the reality of discrimination against LGBTQ and T people, what the ruling means, and the work that still needs to be done. To learn more about ACLU-PA's trans justice work, visit transformationpa.org. This conversation was recorded on July 27th. So, Mary Catherine, I want to start with you. Can you just first give us the thumbnail sketch of what the Supreme Court decided in this case on Title VII and discrimination?
1: Yeah, sure. So the name of the case is Bostock versus Clayton County, but that's just the name of one of the cases. There were three cases: one involving a transgender woman uh, who was fired after six years at her job because she told her boss that she was going to transition, and two involving gay men who were fired, one after he mentioned to a client that he had a male partner, and another one for the terrible crime of uh, joining a gay softball league. And so the question in front of the Supreme Court for all of these cases was, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex. These people were fired for either being gay or being trans. Is that discrimination on the basis of sex? So, and Justice Gorsuch said, yes, if you have two people who sleep with men, one of them's a man and one of them's a woman, and you're only going to fire one of them, you are taking who they are into account when you're making that decision. And you've got two employees who present as women, and one of them was assigned female at birth and one of them was assigned male at birth. Yes, you are looking at the the sex assigned at birth of that person in order to make your decision, you are discriminating on the basis of sex.
0: And you and both of you did a a Facebook Live last month talking about this. And, And Mary Catherine, in that discussion, you made an interesting point about the fact that it was Justice Gorsuch who wrote this opinion and was assigned to do so by Chief Justice Roberts.
2: Yes, that's
1: right. Justice Gorsuch was the first justice appointed by President Trump. We know that President Trump has been just rabidly anti trans But when the chief justice is in the majority on a decision and the chief justice was in the majority on the decision, he decides who writes this opinion. And he chose Justice Gorsuch. And I thought that was a very powerful statement to President Trump, that these are not, quote unquote, his Supreme Court justices. And that he is out of step with everyone in his opposition to LGBT rights.
0: So on the day we're recording this, it's been six weeks since the court's decision. And I'm just curious if the two of you can go back to that day and just tell us, what was your reaction when you heard how the court had ruled? Naima, why don't you go first?
2: For me, uh, someone who was terminated from my job because of my gender identity, It uh, it it was a liberating moment. That, yes, for, for so long, folks, even myself, have been advocating that my gender identity and no one's sexual orientation, there should be nothing that would prop termination from job, you know, if it wasn't your work ethics, you know? And, and again, like I said, someone who was terminated from my job because of my gender identity, I just felt like, yes, finally, after 10 years, after ten years for me, we finally gotten somewhere, and the Supreme Court, the the highest court of the land, has said that sex discrimination in in the workplace includes trans folks, you know, and and that was a moment of of feeling of safe in the workplace.
0: And Mary Catherine, what about you? What was your reaction when you first heard the news?
2: Just, just so
1: happy and excited. I we have waited for this for so long, right? It's obvious that whether you can provide for your family should not depend on who you love or what your gender identity is or what relationship that has to do with the sex you were assigned at birth. Like none of that has anything to do with how you do your job and none of it should have anything to do with whether you can feed your family. It's just so fundamental. And have, to have the Supreme Court say that that is protected, that's just a big deal.
0: Yeah. So, Naima, the ACLU hears regularly from trans people who are discriminated against because of their gender identity. You just mentioned your own experience as well. Uh, in fact, the Supreme Court case was actually three cases, as uh, Mary Catherine referred to, including a, an ACLU lawsuit out of Michigan on behalf of Amy Stevens. Um who recently passed away sadly uh in may, um but she was a trans woman who was fired from her job when she came out um Can you just tell folks listening to this who might not have the experience cis folks who you know in what ways do transgender people face discrimination in their daily lives It goes beyond employment,
2: yeah, I mean I mean once we leave our house, you know and sometimes in our house, the denial of pronouns or names is a form of discrimination, denial of access to public accommodations, safe and affirming housing, uh, safe and affirming education areas. I was someone who was, I was a trans teenager and you know, in high school and and dealing with like gendered uh, uh, graduation outfits or what room, what uniform to wear for for your gym, you know, for your gym attire. You know, all these things go into play. We're dealing with a, a hostile and, and very violent culture uh, towards trans folks around people biases of, of who we are as people and and you know uh, we're dealing with discrimination in every areas every areas you know and and for a lot of trans folks just getting out of bed in the morning is a challenge because we know that once we leave put our feet on those floors that we may experience discrimination in our houses or when we're getting on the public transportation or when we get out, when we get to work and, and someone, you know, misgenders you and, and deny you the right of respect to acknowledge that, you know, your gender identity is, is she and her or they and them or he or him. Um, so, you know, it's it's a, in every aspect of our life do we experience this and, and as a trans person, You know, and and I can speak for myself, but I know I speak for my community members, is that we just want to be treated fairly, you know, and with respect and dignity. And it is so unfortunate that, you know, in all areas of our life are we challenged.
0: Yeah, a few years back, we were actually debating a bill in the legislature where there was a proposal to uh, include sexual orientation and gender identity in Pennsylvania's non-discrimination law, but there was a compromise being floated to not include that protection in public accommodation. And I remember having some conversations with trans folks who said that sometimes is where some of the worst discrimination occurs.
1: Right. So one of the limitations of of the support of course, is only about employment. And that's really important to be able to get and hold a job. But we need protection in all the parts of our lives, and trans folks in particular really need protection in all the parts of our lives. We need this protection when it comes to public accommodations. We need this protection when it comes to housing laws as well. It, because, you know, just like who you are is, doesn't define how you do your job, it sure doesn't define whether you should be able to use a restaurant or a library or a restroom or get safe housing. Like those things just should not be connected.
0: Yeah. Well, and that segues to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Mary Catherine. There are some key differences between federal non discrimination law and state law. Can you tell us a little bit about those differences? Because um, I think that informs the fact that this issue is not completely resolved.
1: Sure. Well, the, I mean, the biggest thing to note is that while both there's uh, the federal Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination in public accommodations, and that's all those places you walk into as you know, a customer or a user that I was just mentioning, the federal law does not prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex when it comes to public accommodations. But Pennsylvania law does. And we need to make sure that that law is going to protect LGBT people. And right now, I mean, our Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission uh, says that they believe the, the word sex in our anti-discrimination law covers LGBT people, but I, the courts have not confirmed that. We need to make sure that that is beyond doubt, and the easiest way to do that is just to change the wording of the law.
0: Well, with that in mind... Mary Catherine, what is your recommendation for someone who feels like they have faced discrimination here in Pennsylvania because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity?
1: Do you mean in employment or do you mean in some other area?
0: Um, (laughs) Well, let's start with employment since that's what the Supreme Court case is about.
1: Sure. There are lots of considerations that go into a particular case deciding whether to bring a claim under federal law or under state law. Um, Most people bring a claim under both. And so anyone who feels that they've been discriminated against should understand that they have protection. Um, If their employer is large enough, has more than 15 employees, they have protection under the federal laws. If their employer is smaller than that, they still probably have protection under the Pennsylvania laws, they're gonna want to talk to a a lawyer about so the the specifics in that. But the most important thing is to understand like it's very clear that kind of discrimination is illegal.
0: And I guess the they're gonna need to consult with a lawyer, or maybe that's the best the best path if possible, if they're facing discrimination in some other area of life. Like let's 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 zero in on public accommodation in particular.
1: Right. There's a whole industry of lawyers who work to protect people's rights in um, employment. That doesn't really exist the same way when it comes to public accommodations, but there are agencies that are designed to do that. And one of them is the Human Relations Commission uh, of Pennsylvania, as well as the Commission on Human Relations of the city of Philadelphia. And we also take complaints about discrimination in public accommodations on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. When you look at at one of these groups, um, it's always a question of sort of what what the capacity is and how much they can pursue, but definitely people should get some advice if they think they're facing discrimination.
0: So Naima, Mary Catherine mentioned the differences uh, between federal law and state law and the fact that, you know, we really the ideal situation would be to have sexual orientation and gender identity written into Pennsylvania's non-discrimination law. And you know, the ACLU of PA has been working for this this uh, this bill for a couple of decades. You're an organizer and a community advocate. What work do you think needs to be done to get there?
2: I mean, we were we were close for for a minute, um, but the continued portion about education, you know. Um, educating your elected official, educating your elected official on why it's important to support bills that include gender identity and sexual orientation as protected classes, educate your community members, your neighbors, your households. I think that that is really important because, you know, a a lot of the resistance that is coming is is around like personal beliefs, biases around protecting someone from discrimination when, when it pertains to they love or how they identify and you know educating people that were just like everyone else you know I have a religion as well that and I have a mom and I have a father and you know and I'm also you know a parent of three dogs normalizing who I am and, and not m- making it seem that I want anything more than anyone else just the same you know educating folks on the reason why you need these, you know, protections it's because in order for me to contribute as a Pennsylvanian to what we need to our economy here, I need to be able to access safe education, you know, in order to get that access to that safe job. And and, and I need safe housing so I can continue to work and then raise up my family, you know, and, and then the cycle continues. If one of us are oppressed, we're all oppressed. So the the thing is is this let's just Let's just cut out the nonsense and just protect everyone. You know, include gender identity and sexual orientation to protected classes, and let's just enjoy the time that that we have with one another, and and not look at our our uniqueness, our differences as a, as a reason to hate.
0: Yeah, really well said, and. You know, we talk so much about how representation matters, so I want to ask you about uh, Dr. Rachel Levine, the Secretary of the Department of Health here in Pennsylvania. You know that the pandemic has brought a significant amount of attention on Dr. Levine and she's the only trans statewide official in Pennsylvania. I don't know if she she maybe she's the only one in the country um, if not, she's just one of a handful and she has received praise from a lot of people for how she's guided the state through the pandemic unfortunately uh, she's also been the target of some really ugly bigotry. So I want to ask you, Naima. You know, what does it mean for the trans community to have a transgender person in such a prominent role?
2: I mean, it, it gives you like hope that you can be anything. You know that, that that you can be the secretary of health. You can be a doctor. You know, back when I used to work at a community-based organization, I used to inside of our our outreach packets where we had condoms and lube. Um, I would put an insert of a, of someone in the trans community, whether they were a doctor or a parent, but giving them something to look forward to as like this role model to say that one day I will be the president of the United States, just say, for instance. So, you know, it gives you that hope that you're able to occupy a position like that. But seeing what Dr. Rachel Levine is experiencing it gives you a smack to reality what we're dealing with in society as trans folks is that Dr. Rachel Levine is not being judged for her strategic tactics during the COVID pandemic. You know, she's being attacked for her gender identity. And, and that's just to be real. Let's just look at, you know, what happened in Bluesburg if we you can lift that up, you know, and, and how you put representation like that. You know, a week before that, you know, event, a, a black trans woman was found in the river in Philadelphia, you know, but yet in bloomsburg we're, we're allowing children and adults to throw items to dock a trans person. you know, and I'm using air quotes because this wasn't a trans person. You could have had a trans person depict a trans person, but yet you want to depict trans women as men dressed up as women. You know the culture of our societies is to continue to, to talk bad about trans folks. or or gay folks, you know? And, And Dr. Rachel Levine embodies this professionalism, you know, where the organizers of that event reached out to her and apologized. And the only thing she was worried about was how did they make sure that Bloomsburg event goers were safe during a pandemic? She wasn't focused on anything other than making sure that people stay safe during a pandemic. So to get back to your original question is, is what does Dr. Rachel Levine and her position mean to trans Pennsylvanians or trans folks all over is that we're able to occupy these spaces and also keep a straight face when we're under pressure. You know, that's what, as a mentee, as someone who's coming, you know, I'm younger than Dr. Rachel Levine. And, and what I hope to be or inspired to be in 10 years is someone with a, with, with a, a cool attitude to adversities to my identity i'm hoping that in 10 years that i won't be challenged but the reality is, is that people never change you know and, and they continue to like get stuck on these personal biases against us you know and that's why we say that the fight continues you know we have to continue to fight on and when i mean fight educating and, and advocating for yourself and others but i really want to say thank you to dr rachel of me because she she kept our cool under pressure and and thank you for keeping pennsylvania safe
0: it really speaks to how you know the, the culture and the law are so intertwined we need the law to change we also are doing the hard work of trying to change the culture as well uh mary catherine i want to ask you uh so the, the legal fights in this arena continue to evolve as the lgbq and t community wins the other side finds new ways to fight back uh, in fact, there's another case in front of the Supreme Court next session, a case out of Philadelphia about foster care. Uh, can you give us a preview of what that case is about?
1: Sure. The city of Philadelphia has, for decades, had laws prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And the the city applies those rules to the agencies that it, it contracts with also, and One of the things that the city contracts for is that it it hires agencies to help take care of children who are out of their homes, whether they are in foster care, whether they are in a different kind of placement, whatever kind of services they need. Um, And some of these agencies that provide these services are religiously based organizations. A couple years ago, it became known that two of these agencies were refusing to work with gay and lesbian foster couples, and one of them is Catholic Social Services, and when the city said, you can't work for us and take care of children for us, (laughs) and in that very act be discriminating against our citizens, Catholic Social Services sued the city of Philadelphia and said that they have a right to literally discriminate according to their religious views when they are choosing foster parents. They lost in the federal trial court. They lost in the federal appeals court. Um, But unfortunately, the United States Supreme Court has taken up the question. And we know from other cases that the United States Supreme Court is very, very protective of uh, what they view as the right of people to discriminate when they claim a religious objection to our communities. It's a shame for our communities. It's also just a real shame for the children of Philadelphia because we need all the good foster parents we can get, and we should not have agencies that work for the government picking and choosing parents for our kids who desperately need safe homes based on anything other than what those kids need.
0: I know you're both busy. You're, I'm sure you're heading off to do more amazing things after we're done uh, with this discussion. Any uh, last, what, what do you want someone to walk away with as they're listening to this conversation? Naima, why don't you uh, go first?
2: So be quick. I, I want folks, uh, uh, trans or non-binary, to feel supported and know that there are agencies and people out here who will stand up and fight for you, for the. Out there, who are listening, continue to fight for trans, non-binary, and LGBTQ Pennsylvanians in, in all areas, and to social justice warriors. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Mary Catherine, any last comments?
2: Well, it's
1: not original, but it's still true. As well, as long as any one of us is not free, we are not a free people. We need to keep fighting.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you both. Appreciate your time and your amazing work.
1: Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Naima.
0: Thank you, MC. Thank you, Andy. All right. You're welcome. That's Naima Sanchez and Mary Catherine Roper of the ACLU of Pennsylvania. If you enjoyed this episode and like the podcast, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. That's how more people can find the show. That brings episode 47 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, your host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be healthy and be free.